Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and welcome to episode 200. I never thought I would say that, not because I didn't believe we wouldn't get to 200, but sometimes when you're doing this show day after day after day after day, week after week, you start wondering like, when will we get to 200? When will we get to the next number? And it seems like just yesterday when I was recording episode 100 with good friend of the show, Dale Hansen. Well, I have a special treat for you today. I was able to have Mr. Billy Campbell, the rocketeer himself, on the show today. We talk about the rocketeer. We talk about his work in Bram Stoker's Dracula. We talk about his work in Cardinal. We talk about acting in general. It's just a very great episode. He was so gracious with his time, and I'm excited for you to hear this podcast. Now, before we get started, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. The owner and operator of Snuffy is good friend of the podcast, Nick Silvestri, who designed the Detox podcast logos. So if you want to go support him, go check it out, snuffy.co. This is your first time at the Detox Podcast. Welcome. You definitely picked a great one to listen to, um, and we hope you stick around for another one. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. We're really thankful to have your support. Now, either way, I hope that you're able to take the next 45, 50, 60 minutes, however long this episode is, and just kick back, relax, detox from the world around you, get a window into how other people live their lives, and try and go make a more inclusive world. It's not just a mantra on the show. It's something that we definitely believe in. And 200 episodes strong, it's nice to know that we're making even just a little bit of difference and putting a little bit of good out into the world. Now, if you like what you hear, please go rate the podcast, review the podcast, subscribe, share with a friend. It really helps out independent podcasts like this one. Now, before we get to my episode with Billy, there's going to be a few special messages from some good friends of the Detox Podcast. So we'll listen to those to celebrate episode 200, and then we'll dive into my interview with Billy Campbell right after this. Hey, this is Galan, former host of the Detox Podcast. Just wanted to say congratulations to Joe for making it to episode 200. That is an amazing feat. And what's even better than that is the direction that he's taken the show since going solo. Uh, It has been a real treat to watch the variety of guests that he's had on, to hear what he has to say, and I continue to look forward to seeing the the direction that the that detox podcast goes in in the future congrats joe hey this is ali malenko author of ghost girl i loved being on your show joe and i just want to congratulate you on your 200th episode of detox that's awesome Hi, everybody. This is Josh Lehman. I was a guest on Joe's show, and I am so thrilled for you, Joe. Congratulations on 200. That is amazing. You are amazing. I love your show so much. I love that I've known you for as long as I have, and I just think the world of you. Congratulations, my friend. Hey, I'm Chris Barron, author and former guest on the Detox podcast. I just want to say congratulations on episode 
200. I love this podcast so much. I love being a guest. Um, but I love how it takes a moment just to think about art and life and parenting and the things that are good in the world. So I hope there's 200 more, 400 more. Just keep it going. Hey, Joe, we did it. No, I'm joking. It's former guest and playwright Jeremy O'Brien. And I just want to congratulate you on 200 episodes. I'm so excited for this show because I think it really gives a platform and a voice to people who are just at the least bit curious about what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a parent, and what it means to be a better human being for the generation after us. And so this matters. And I hope that you feel like such a profound sense of um, excitement and and accomplishment um, because 200 is no small feat. Congratulations. So much love to you. Hi, I'm former guest and actress Rebecca Kennedy. I just want to congratulate Joe on your 200th episode. That's so amazing. Thank you for your support over the years. Being a guest on your show has always been a treat. Having a place to detox and unwind after a long day is so important. And thank you for providing that. Congrats again. Hey, this is Anthony, host of the Reality Is podcast. And uh, Joe, man, episode 200. This is pretty big, brother. Um, I've been knowing you. Um, I think I was beside you when you popped your podcast, Cherry Man, and you've been at it now doing um, a podcast with us and to branching out on your own to doing corporate podcasting, man. And it's just been a pleasure to see you grow and watch you just flourish in something that comes so natural to you. Um, it's always a pleasure being on your platform with you. Thank you for always be willing, being willing to share yourself and your voice and your perspective, man. It's appreciated. I love you, brother. Here's to 200 more. Hello, this is Nate Cole, musician and former guest of the pod, where Joe and I dove straight into the deep topics of our lives for two plus hours. And in many ways, it's a conversation that is still going. We've had many talks similar and similarly meaningful offline, and I'm super grateful for his voice in my life. So congratulations on 200 episodes, Joe. To the moon, baby. Woo! Welcome back to the Detox Podcast, to the 200th edition of the podcast. I am so excited to have a superhero in our presence, a real-life superhero, the the American-made superhero before we knew what we wanted. He is the rocketeer himself, Mr. Billy Campbell. Billy, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm I'm recovering from a a chest cold, but uh, other than that, I'm fine. Right. If uh, if, uh, you know, the Nazis couldn't keep you down, a chest cold won't keep you down either. So that's that's, (laughs) oh, crack myself up here. Well, Billy, I'm so excited to have you on the show today for this 200th edition. You're so gracious with your time. And I know here at the Detox Podcast, you know, we are a podcast where we invite our listeners to quote unquote detox from the world around them, kick back, relax for 45, 50, 60 minutes, and just get a window into how other people live their lives and try and make a more inclusive world. So with that, I always like to level set the episode by asking a question of the guests. So Billy, I'll ask you, what are you currently detoxing from? Uh, uh, detoxing, I'm detoxing, I'm currently detoxing 
from being away from my wife and children. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I, I guess that's a way of saying I'm reveling being in the company of my wife and children at this point in time, because I, I just spent uh, a couple of months away from them working in Vancouver. And I'm curious, you know, I think it's, it's interesting too. You talked about working in Vancouver. What has the, you know, I kind of want to pivot into this. What has the, the world of entertainment been like in this COVID world? How, how has that been for you to navigate? Is very much different uh, from, from, from what it used to be. Uh, and that's the, the, I think the primary difference for me, um, but also in terms of production that it's just slowed everything down. I mean, multiple, uh, uh, testing goes on every day and the set is divided into zones and certain people in certain zones can't go into other zones. And so everything just takes a lot longer. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very, it's very strange. <laughs> I have to imagine it's got to be a, a bit of a first, I would think, on on the on these sets. I mean, I would assume that you know, uh, having been in the industry for as long as you have, you're used to a certain flow when you get on set and a certain way in which things are mm-hmm. processed. And then you're talking about a completely different uh, way of working with the different zones yeah. and everything. Yeah, entirely different. Uh, um, you know, you 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 can't. I mean, there are people that you've n- never even come into contact with during a day now that uh, that you used to uh, hang around with all the time. Um, it's it's just it's just very very strange. I've noticed in watching certain certain shows or certain networks, like the CW superhero shows, as an example of the the, the almost pre pre-covid sets where there's lots of people lots of extras lots of things going on to the to the current environment where it's very much couple locations main cast maybe one other extra person and that's it and they mm-hmm. do a great job with the the writing and keeping everything tight but it is it is noticeable i think maybe perhaps because i'm looking for it but i think it is yep. a little bit more noticeable um and that yeah. kind of feeds right into what you're talking about about the different zones and not coming in contact with folks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it may be that, uh, you know, it may be that this encourages uh, better writing. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta get scrappy with, uh, with what more you got. creative writing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk about, I know you've probably spoken ad nauseum about the rocketeer, this, this film that folks may be familiar with. I would like to think if you're listening to this, you're familiar with it. I have to say from a, from a personal perspective, there were three movies that I consistently rented and watched uh, growing up and they were the shadow with Alec Baldwin, the phantom with Billy Zane. And then of course the rocketeer with yours truly. And there was just something about this idea of like, I don't know, this like almost pulpy noir-ish hero, yeah. kind of every man who's taking something unique and and making it his own. But it was it was always I kept going back to the Rocketeer over and over again. I think it was maybe the helmet or the the jetpack or mm. what have you. But I'm curious about when was the first time that you were made aware of this movie as a concept f- before auditioning? Um, I, the first time, uh, was, uh, you know, I got a call from my agent or something and then I was sent a script 
and they wanted me to audition. And uh, I had I had never heard of it. I mean, I used to be into comic books, but not, I mean, really not uh, like your average comic book collector. I was sure. more sort of a dilettante about it. Uh, but uh, I read there were a few comic books that I loved and uh, but I had never seen the uh, I had never seen the Rocketeer. And um, and so I sort of I, I, I my head was in a different place at the time. I think I was uh, doing Shakespeare at the Renaissance Fair <laughs> and uh, I, I had long hair and a beard. And I uh, I just my head wasn't into it. I, I, I know that I skimmed the Rocketeers script and I I just didn't I, my head wasn't in it and uh, I didn't give it to two minutes. <laughs> and um, and then they they uh, sent me on an audition. So I went to, and I think uh, the people in the room, uh, producer, casting director, maybe Joe Johnston must have wondered like, who is this person that accidentally wandered into the <laughs> audition room? Because I was, you know, I mean, I looked and probably smelled just like I'd come from the Renaissance fair. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so, uh, uh, but then I, I went home from this audition and, um, I don't know, somebody, I had been made to understand that, that, that the script was from a, a, a graphic novel or a comic book. And I went to, I went down to golden apple comic comics and picked up a, a copy of it. And I realized, holy shit, I, I, there's a chance I could get this movie because <laughs> I looked, I opened it up and I looked just like the, the guy. Yeah. And, um, and, um, and that's of course, because Dave, Dave and I looked a lot alike. Um, and he drew the rocketeer as himself. Right. Or drew, drew himself as the rocketeer, I guess. And uh, <clears throat> so then I, I, then I got excited and uh, and I, I went home and, and really read the script and saw what a fantastic thing it was. And so then I went and got a haircut and shaved my face and and uh, yeah, and then uh, the rest is is uh, so-called history, right? It's so interesting to me, this idea. I was doing a, a, a bit of a, a retrospective on the Rocketeer and, and superhero movies because for folks who, who are listening to this, um, I don't know when they're going to be listening to it or of what age, but I mean, we're in the, the Marvel age, right? I mean, yes, we have DC mm -hmm. movies. We have all different kinds of movies, but it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a thing that I think, you know, when I was a kid watching The Rocketeer and others, that was that was unheard of. Like, forget forget an interconnected universe of 10 years of movies. Like, I just would be happy to have, like, a new superhero film once every five years. Like, this was yeah. just yeah. insane. And the fact that Joe Johnson directed this film and then went and made Captain America the first Avenger I think there's you know a little bit of um I notice a, a little bit of uh symmetry I think from the the cinematography and the stylistic uh items that he does in the Rocketeer and in Captain America for sure did did yeah. you did you find and I'm and I don't even know if this is something 
um, that you may have or may not have been aware of, but was Joe Johnson as a director, was this like World War II era films? Was this something that was kind of like what he wanted to do stylistically, or was this just a film that he picked up? Do you have any kind of inkling into his perspective on that? I don't really. Um, uh, he, 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 uh, he's a wonderful fellow, but he's not, he's not super, super, uh, uh, talkative you know <laughs> sure uh, um and uh and i i actually came to really uh, really like that and really respect his style and his method of of directing um uh, it was just the thing i realized that i that i needed and 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 against which i have i have uh, sort of judged uh, many many different uh, many different uh, modes of directing. Um, uh, but no, I didn't, I didn't have a sense of uh, what it was he wanted to do. Sure. Um, just of what he was doing. And, and it looked, uh, I really loved, uh, loved the way it was uh, sort of coming together. Definitely. Well, I want to let listeners know that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. So nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And I bring them up in the middle of the show to let you know that mm-hmm. the, the one of the owners of Empire Toys, Matt Houck, is a huge Rocketeer fan. They've got Rocketeer memorabilia in their store. So I wanted to make sure that the Rocketeer had Empire Toys Matt Houck in his in his uh, in his uh, mind. So there we go. <laughs> Buzzing around in my head, right. even <laughs> as we speak. There it is. Uh, I got to ask about... You know, I think it's so interesting going back and and rewatching this film. The the cast you've got yourself, you've got Jennifer Connelly, you've got Alan Arkin, you've got Timothy Dalton, and then I didn't even realize Terry O'Quinn was in this until I went back and watched it. I'm currently rewatching Lost, and so that was a bit of a surprise for me to see Terry O'Quinn back in there. Um, but what was it like for you to work with someone like an Alan Arkin or a Timothy Dalton or even a young Jennifer Connelly? in this type of a, of a movie, what was that like for you as a younger actor? Well, it was, I mean, it was thrilling. Uh, uh, obviously it was, a, it was, um, it was almost uh, overload. It was my first, uh, it was actually my first ever film, um, which, uh, you know, I hadn't even done a bit part in a movie um, before then. Uh, so it was, it was, I was like a dog with three tails, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was immensely exciting. Um, and I, I, I just, I couldn't believe my luck, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, Alan Arkin, uh, is one of the all time greats in my book. Um, even then I, I had known and loved Alan Arkin uh, um, maybe most of all for that wonderful movie with Peter Falk uh, uh, the in-laws mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just you know I, w- I was uh, there's no better I, I think description uh, than than I was a puppy with three tails <laughs> uh, and 
you know, Alan Arkin and I are still fast friends to this day. Um, uh, I don't really speak much to anyone else, but I tell you at the time I was just over the moon. I think that's so incredible. And you have such great talent and power in, in that film for sure. Some of the, some of the stunts are pretty impressive, especially looking back on it with a kind of 2021 lens reviewing the film. How, how did, how did they do? Well, here's how I want to ask it. How did you get up with the jetpack, right? And how did they film some of those stunts? And then also what was it like for you to film, uh, to have that perspective of the filming of the rocket pack up in the air? Well, it was a, it was a super amount of fun. I'm going to take you with me to get more coffee. Okay, sounds um, good. <laughs> it was a super amount of uh, fun. Um, uh, one reason being that they they let me do a lot of my own stunts, not uh, not really flying with the rocket pack because a lot of that was um, you know cable work and. Um, they didn't, uh, I didn't do any, I didn't do any cable work. I mean, the cable work is, uh, uh, or at least back then it was, uh, unpredictable. One, one fellow, um, uh, one stunt fellow, even before the movie got started, uh, broke his ankles Ooh. when he fell from some, some cables. Uh, we, um, Another stunt fellow, Jimmy Medeiros, I think, um, uh, was in a coma from a stunt gone wrong with a cable during the show. So there was no cable work uh, for me. Um, but uh, but a lot of the rest of my uh, my stunt work uh, was was me, and it was a, a good deal of fun. Uh, I I'm I'm. I was actually up in a plane for all that stuff in the beginning of the movie. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that was awesome and frightening because uh, <laughs> at the time I, I had a uh, pretty, pretty stiff uh, fear of flying, which I inherited from my dearly departed mom. Um, <laughs> but I, I wasn't going to tell them that. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was super, super, my first two films, uh, the first, of course, was The Rocketeer. My second film was uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, both old-fashioned movies, right? Both period movies, but both also mainly practical movies. Um, of course, The Rocketeer flying was, uh, was a lot of that was puppetry and so forth, but very little of it was uh, CGI. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then Dracula, of course, was mostly practical effects as well. Um, so it was like uh, for the first two movies, it was like being an old fashioned uh, movie star, you know, running around riding horses and running around on tops of blimps and all that kind of stuff. Zeppelins, sorry. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a little like being an old fashioned uh, movie star. I love that you bring up the practical effects and the 
the old time kind of movie star because, well, for one, I mean, the Rocketeer, there's literally a scene where you are doing like old fashioned Hollywood, right? With Timothy Dalton yeah. as the, the yeah. Finn scene. It, it reminded me actually that scene always reminds me of the, the classic Robin Hood film. And I cannot, rem um, Ooh, I'm going to kick myself later for not remembering who is, um, the lead in that, but I grew up watching it as brightly colored, big sets like that, big, uh, mm. jousting scenes. Um, I'll remember it here in a second, but was it with Errol Flynn? Yes, that's no. it. That's yes. it. Yeah. Errol Flynn. Yes. Love that movie. Um, yeah. and that's what that, that scene always reminds me of that Robin Hood film with Errol Flynn. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. when he's fighting the sheriff of Nottingham in the banquet hall. And yeah, so, but to your point, I think there was a, a period of time where, you know, you, you can only do so much with effects because you, you have to use what you've got. You know, we talked about being scrappy with the writing, with, with the era of COVID. Um, and I think you had to be kind of crafty, uh, literally crafty, but also crafty with how you're thinking about pulling off these different effects for these different yeah. movies. And then, then we get the period of time where people are getting more into CGI and, and some of those, some of those scenes or films or whatever may not age well when we start looking at with better CGI. Uh, but yeah. I, I find that the practical effects stuff really holds up time over time over time. Um, I want to get your perspective on being actually on uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula because that was a film I remember watching way later. was not allowed to watch it when it came out for obvious reasons. It was way too young. We'll take you to see The Rocketeer, kid, but we're not going to take you to see Bram Stoker's Dracula. But looking, right. but looking back on it, it's such a... a a faithful adaptation to the book. And I would imagine must have been a lot of fun to film, especially with Gary Oldman and, and, you know, you had Keanu Reeves there. So what was it like from your perspective, being a part of that type of a production from going from the Rocketeer to Dracula? Well, I mean, I, I could hardly believe my luck, <laughs> but um, it was, uh, again, I was uh, pretty, pretty, pretty over the moon. Um, I had, uh, you know, as as I said, it was it was it was like making an old fashioned movie, and and again they let me do, you know, I got to do my own horse riding, and and uh, uh, it was just super exciting because it was because it was, I think, you know, if you did that movie now, a, a heck of a lot of it would be green screen and. Yeah. and and stuff and i think that was i don't think uh, francis was interested in doing green green screen or any of that he really he's he loves filmmaking and he loves you know old old time cinema and he loved the notion of doing practical effects i mean there's a single i think there's a single uh, computer generated image in the whole movie um and in fact it's the single it's the single disappointing uh image of the <laughs> of the of the whole movie which is i think in the end in the chapel when when yeah. gary Oldman, when dracula's face turns to young gary oldman yep and i think uh, you know for my money they ought to have done the old-fashioned thing of cutting away to Winona and every time you cut back to Gary they've done a makeup change yeah so that he you know so that it so that it would fit with the rest of the movie um 
And, you know, in that case, the movie, I think, would have been flawless. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was just it was just exquisitely, exquisitely enjoyable. I, I was again, I was like a puppy with three tails. I mean, if it hadn't been for the fact that I was at the time having some um having some uh, you know personal uh, some romantic drama then uh, it, it it would have been an absolutely thoroughly enjoyable period of time in my life sure i'm curious about working with francis ford uh coppola i always get the last name incorrect Cop- i coppola coppola I, yeah I, 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 but i'm yeah. curious what was it like working with the director of that stature on dracula you know, it, it was a far more enjoyable experience uh, than than uh, and and far warmer and funnier and and uh, um, cozier experience than 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 it was working with many many um, lesser directors over the years. Um, I mean, everyone's their own director, but sure. he was just warm and open and funny and fun and uh, uh it was like doing a movie with your uncle or something <laughs> yeah i mean an uncle that you that you loved right what has it been like for you having having had such such a a great start with your film career with rocketeer and dracula and then progressing on your acting career what have been some of your what has been some of your favorite highlights throughout your career that you don't perhaps get to talk about as often? Well, I mean, everything in its own way was a highlight. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's funny I'm, because uh, <clears throat> it's true. Everything in its own way was a highlight. I mean, the first time I was on film was a highlight uh, or a low light. Actually, I was I got stage fright and was so bad they almost cut me out of the TV movie. But oh, no. um, uh, of course, the Rocketeer and Dracula, and then um, uh, you know the first time I the first time I got to play a bad guy and enough, um, which sort of changed up, you know, or at least enabled people you know, gave people the, uh, permission to think of me as, uh, as anything other than the, the nice boyfriend, you right. know, or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've had so many things that I consider highlights. Uh, I just finished a show of four seasons of a show in Canada called Cardinal, which, uh, which in many ways was the, the most uh, rewarding experience of my career. Um, I, I don't know. Um, a lot of things, even some things that they have not been so good that were highlights for other reasons. Uh, yeah. You know, part of why I, I thought I would, I always thought I would enjoy the, the, the job that I have is that, you know, is that it's a pretty fun excuse to just go different places and meet different people um, rather than just being a tourist. You know, right. when you go to a place and you're a tourist, it's a, it's a certain experience. But when you go, when you go a place to, uh, 
you know, to, to do a movie, you're, you're immersed in the place. You're, you're working with local people and you, uh, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun and you see a place in a different way than you, than you would otherwise. So I've gotten to go, you know, I made a movie in the Antarctic. I made a movie in Sri Lanka. I made a movie in the Isle of Man. Um, uh, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's fun. Yeah. That's definitely something that you can, you know, kind of look back and, and realize like, wow, I've had these incredible, collective life experiences that has enabled me to go and and be like you said immersed in the culture and and you know i think that helps that helps one at least it's my perspective i feel like the more that you're able to to immerse yourself with different people different experiences different cultures the more of the world that you're able to get immersed in the better perspective that you can have for the world at large that allows you to have empathy and understanding for your fellow humans here that we share on the on space on this planet with. Whereas it can get easy, I think, to have uh, when you're not having contact with different folks, it can be easy to get siloed in and not be able to see how we're all on this planet together. We all have hopes and dreams and fears and and want to you know <clears throat> succeed in our own way, and and it can be easy to forget that when we're stuck in one location, kind of listening to our own echo chamber, it's much easier, I think, to get out and start meeting folks and dialoguing and working with them and seeing, wow, this is how much we have in common coming together for the common good. Yeah. That seemed to make sense. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Cardinal because Cardinal was not a show I was familiar with before, before this, this interview. I mean, in the prep for this interview, I became familiar with it, but, but Cardinal four season show, you know, I just a little bit of uh, description for those who may not be familiar with it. Cardinal, which is you struggles to write past wrongs that could derail his investigation and end his career as the case grows more violent and twisted and the clock ticks down on the killers next to victim. So, like, what was it like working? That's probably not the best question because there's probably a lot of ways you could go. But what was it like for you to have worked on this show for the past for four years and really get immersed into this character? What was that? How is is Cardinal as a character for you to portray? Well, it, it's uh, it was, uh, as I said, it was one of the more fulfilling um, uh, things of my career. Um, but I, you know, how, how it was for me to play Cardinal. Um, well, I, I put it this way. Uh, I have, you know, I have in my, in the back of my head, uh, kind of an inner casting director. Um, and I have, uh, if I, read something, um, a script, and I cannot picture myself in the, in the, in the role, you know, if, if, if I would not, as my inner casting director, cast myself in the role, uh, I find it very difficult to even go on the audition, um, or, or take the job if it's a, if it's an offer. Uh, I just can't get, get, get excited about it 
unless maybe it's a movie in Sri Lanka or, you know, in the Antarctic or something, in in, in which case I can manufacture some exuberance. Um, But, uh, but when I read the, when I first read the script for Cardinal, maybe more than almost any other thing, uh, except Rocketeer possibly, I pictured myself in the role. I, like I, I, from the moment I started reading it, I thought I'm, I'm, I, I'm perfect for this. I can do this. And then I got very, very excited about it. Um, so uh, to be honest, uh, playing the role uh, was not, it, it really didn't, you know, <clears throat> I made some initial, we made some initial decisions about the character. Um, but they were very uh, quickly arrived at these decisions with the director and the producers. Um, and they were, yeah, we were all on the same page from the, from the first moment. It was a great script and uh, I pictured myself in the role and they pictured me in the role. And the funny thing was that, we, I mean, it was as much of a perfect storm of, uh, of um, you know, perfectness <laughs> As it was, um, uh, I actually turned it down to begin with because I had promised my 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 wife, uh, then my partner, that um, that I would. Um, it, we had a young boy, um, and she had a year left of uh, her final year of architecture studies uh, left to to do, and I had promised her that I would uh, be around for that um, because. Uh, one because architecture school is uh, is unbelievably difficult sure uh, um and uh, two because it was uh, you know i mean i wanted to i mean uh, you know we're we're a partnership um and so i turned it down without even telling her about it because i didn't want to pressure her sure and uh thankfully a, a few weeks later they came back around and uh and just wanted to know if no really, really meant no. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, oh, you know, I, I had let go of it. And then it came back around and I was like, oh, I can't, I can't. I mean, it's one of the best things I'd ever read. And it was one of the, one of the times when I felt I'm so, so right for this job. Yeah. And so I decided to tell her, um, um, and I did, and I, but I took the pressure off. I said, "Look, I've already turned it down, and if you say the word right now, I'll I will turn it down again, and I'll never think a, a, about it again. I'll put it right out of my mind. No worries. I just wanted to let you know, since you know we're a, we're a family, and uh, I'm not just turning down money for myself anymore. Right. Yeah. And uh, and. Uh, she said, uh, can I read it? And so I let her read it. And uh, afterwards, she said, uh, I think you should do this. And uh, I'm not even sure she'd ever read a script before, but she <laughs> could uh, she could tell um, how, how how good it was and how how fitting it was. And so I ended up doing the show. Um, and it's been, you know, the karma's come back to her because uh, Cardinal has been so successful uh, over in this part of the world 
in all over the world, but uh, especially in this part of the world. And um, so it has uh, turned out to be uh, really the best chance that I have to get my foot in the door of the business over here. That's awesome. And, you know, in which case, I'll be working much closer to home. And yep. I'm and I'm sure your wife really appreciates that as well. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think that's fantastic. As we're getting ready to wrap this part of the show, I do want to ask, is there one story that you have, bringing it back around to The Rocketeer, is there one story or memory that you have being on set filming The Rocketeer that we haven't covered that you you always like to share? Uh, well, um, I don't know. There was a lot of pranking going on. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, you know, I would say, I would say, you know, if you're, if you're a young buck and it's your first film, um, and you're full of piss and vinegar and, and, uh, you, you don't want to just immediately get into a pranking contest with the stunt department, um, cause that would be a, that would be a mistake. Um, because then you'll find yourself, you know, 40 miles, 45 miles from your bed one night after a long day of shooting in the parking lot, uh, you know, uh, way out in the sticks uh, where we shot the Bulldog Cafe, way out in the orange orchards. You'll find yourself going to your car at night and uh, to find that your uh, that your Jeep has been wrapped in chain through the steering wheel and padlocked and you will have to go and go back to the set and uh, ask the person who is cleaning out your trailer to open it up again so that you can spend the night. No. Just I'm um, I'm guessing that's all hypothetical clearly. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's something that uh, that's something that could happen. Right. <laughs> I that's fantastic well we are moving on to the next part of the show which is things to check out it's a segment where I give a recommendation of something I'm reading and something that I'm listening to and I ask my guests to do the same so I'll go first mm -hmm. so for listeners out there what I'm currently reading I'm currently reading the book Cast by Isabel <laughs> Wilkerson The Origins of Our Discontents it's mm -hmm. a fantastic book it's very powerful and it discusses um how this idea of caste is not just a concept for the country of India, but this idea of races and racism and slavery and caste, it's something that has permeated the United States of America forever. And it talks about the ways in which we still deal with the issues of racism and how it permeates everyday mm -hmm. life um, that most folks would like to think went away after they, uh, the civil rights movement in the 60s or perhaps President Obama's term in the White House. But it's very much alive, and this book details that um, to a great extent. So that's definitely worth recommending. And then also, I'm currently listening to my friend Tracy. Uh, she does the podcast, The Stacks Podcast, which is a weekly book club podcast where they actually talk about books like Cast. So if you want to listen to someone break it down, she has different guests on to break down these books. Definitely go check out The Stacks wherever you listen to podcasts. So Billy, who are you reading and who are you listening to? I have that very book on my nightstand. Um, I haven't cracked it yet. Um, uh, the last book I read was, uh, 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 well, the book I'm reading now is called Bark Skins mm. by um, Annie Pruel, if that's how you 
pronounce her name. Uh, she wrote the shipping news. Um, and um, I think uh, another book that I have uh, recently read is uh, Slavery by Another Name um, by Douglas Blackmon. Um, and uh, what am I on to next? I'm on to, uh, oh, uh, uh, also I, I read a little uh, slim little book by Yanis uh, uh, Varifakis uh, uh, called Talking to My Daughter About the Economy. Um, and what do I have next? I really want to reread uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, um, <laughs> but I'm waiting for there's an edition coming i think it's later this year oh uh, uh yeah with using only uh uh tolkien's uh, original artwork oh that's awesome yeah Definitely. yeah yeah, yeah. No. Oh, <clears throat> I'm well worth the not work. oh yeah 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 i'm not i'm not gonna even look at it until that <laughs> until i have that edition in my hands that's fantastic. All right. Well, we are going to move on to the last part of the show. It is the dad dad joke of the week. It's a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans. But I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests. So it works out. But I do like to put my guest on the spot first. So, Billy, do you have any jokes that you would like to offer up today? Uh, yeah. Two, two, so two cannibals are eating a a clown uh, and one turns to the other and says, does this taste funny to you? <laughs> you got to watch out for that that's funny the, bone. That's the only joke I know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, I picked a couple superhero themed jokes. I felt it was on mm. brand for today. Um, so, uh, Billy, I want, I want to ask, how do superheroes prepare their dinner? Mm, I don't know. They save the food first. That uh, one's not good. All right. Uh, what do you get when you cross a superhero and the Dead Sea? Uh, uh, not sure. A Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool. That one's a little more on the nose. All right, last one. Uh, uh, I'm smiling in, 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 in pain. Yes. Grimacing, more like it. Grimacing. Where does Spider-Man hang out in his spare time? Don't know. The World Wide Web. The W, W, W. These are not jokes. These are like more, more like puns. <laughs> They're not good. The point is not to be good. The point is just to have something to say and to groan oh. and we've accomplished yeah. that we've absolutely yes, we accomplished that. <laughs> yeah. billy if people want to follow you and see what you're up to what's the best way for them to do that well i mean i'm i guess i'm on twitter but uh i'm <laughs> i'm I, i'm hardly worth following because i'm never i never go on there unless uh, you know un, unless and until um i have a um a, a gig coming out on television in which case the the powers that be like you to do the tweeting right um but i'm to be honest i'm perfectly disinterested in it um uh, so 
And I, I'm not even sure what my Twitter handle is. I think it might be W.O. Campbell. I believe so. That's what I have written down. I will do a quick fact check just to be mm. sure. Um, and it is, yes, W.O. Campbell. So there it is. You can definitely go check it out. And I'll give a little plug. So if you like The Rocketeer, it's on Disney+. Plus. If you like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, it is. I saw it floating around a couple places. I think it might be on Netflix currently or Hulu. But Cardinal is also on Hulu. So definitely go check yeah. out this man's work because it's fantastic and it will enrich your life. So I uh, I like it. Well, Billy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I th This has been a fantastic treat for me and I hope for the listeners as well. So thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. And thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Is this a, by the way, is this a, are people going to hear this or do they see it as well? It's just audio. So you're good. Okay. Yeah, just. All right. I was, I was just <laughs> noticing that my hair is, uh, is, uh, my hair is perfect. Yes. It's absolutely perfect because you're not seeing it. So it is the best <laughs> it's ever been perfectly coiffed and everything. Yeah, so. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Now that you mention it. All right. <laughs> Well, yeah. listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long-form career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show, The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family, Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today.